You're listening to Movie Homework, brought to you by the Binge Media Podcast Network. Subscribe wherever you get podcasts. BingeMedia.net. I'm Jack, and I'm joined today, as always, by my co-host, the Step Chad. How you doing? I'm doing. I'm doing well, buddy. It's dry January's over. I know we talked about that a little last time. So mm-hmm. I'm I've, I've cracked a Boulevard Space Camper Quantum Hop IPA. This is a 9.5 percenter, but I'm only doing one of them. Okay, I'm not. It's not going to go off the rails. Okay, I promise. Jesus. <laughs> Do you ever think sometimes with these breweries that they just they throw like 50 words into a hat and they just pull out four of them and they're like okay these four ipa on the end and we're done yeah it, it feels like that yeah it almost a little bit space camper is a pretty good uh boulevard ipa in general but they've got like five branches of it now there's like yeah. this imperial ipa this you know double there's so many of them and it's just like all right i'll try this one i haven't had it yet it's good it doesn't taste like a that bitter ipa i know there's a lot of people that hate those but yeah, it's Absolutely fine. Absolutely wild. We'll go Absolutely. to a Michelob after this, get a little lighter. Yeah, there you go. Can't, can't be getting crazy on a weeknight. <laughs> Actually, you were the one who turned me on to those Michelob uh, Ultras, is it? Yes, Michelob yeah, Ultra. Michelob Ultras. Yeah. Very nice, very light. We killed a lot of those over uh, Yeah, over they the go down like water. Go down like yeah, water. <laughs> they do, they do. Um, all right, well, that's enough of that. Uh, last time on Movie Homework, we talked through Mrs. Doubtfire, uh, so be sure to go back and check that out if you haven't already. And today, um, again, we're in kind of doldrums when it comes to theatrical releases, so it is uh, Valentine's Day season. Love is in the air, allegedly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. we wanted to do something that tied into that. And Chad, you uh, you brought this one up, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind from 2004. Uh, right. well, let's start off with a little bit of a trailer here, then we'll get into it. Hello, I'm Howard Mirziak, founder and president of Lacuna Incorporated. Why remember a destructive love affair? Here at Lacuna, we have perfected a safe, effective technique for the focused erasure of troubling memories. In a matter of hours, our patented non-surgical procedure will rid you of painful memories and allow you a new and lasting peace of mind you'd never imagined possible. This is a hoax, right? I assure you, no. Is there any risk of brain damage? It's on a par with a night of heavy drinking. Nothing you'll miss. Ah! Um, When I looked at this trailer, huge waves of nostalgia just washed over me. Um, (laughs) This movie, uh, Mr. Blue Sky kicking into the trailer, and honestly, that was the only part of the trailer I could play for you because the rest of it is just Mr. Blue Sky over scenes from the movie, so there wasn't much to... uh, to grab. But um, I remember when this movie was coming out. This was, you know, 2004. For me, this was this was like the beginning of the renaissance for me. This was in close proximity to seeing Pulp Fiction for the first time. And all that, you know, sort of awakening as, as a film fan. Um, and I was aware that this movie was coming out. And I knew that I couldn't get to the theater for it. But when it came out on DVD, I could get my hands on it. Um, Chad, what do you remember from when this movie was releasing? 
Yeah, I remember very vividly seeing the trailer for this. I'd go to the theater decent amount with my you know, school high school friends at the time. But I, I didn't see this in the theater. I definitely remember renting this at Blockbuster. Uh, it was, I think it was the summer of 03 and 04 that they had the Blockbuster Movie Pass program that I used, I talk about a little bit on this show before, yeah. but you could, you could rent as many out, like two out of the time, you could go as many times as you want per day. And my, I could ride my bike over to the, the Blockbuster. So I would just like, there was one summer and I think it was this summer of 04 that I was, I mean, I just plowed through so many movies, like mm. five, six movies a day and just ride my bike over, drop off. But yeah, I remember watching this and I remember the first time I watched it, I didn't quite understand it definitely i was i wasn't in a relationship at the time of obviously i was like 14 or 15 <laughs> when sure. it came out uh and i was like oh jim carrey the funny guy and it, i don't think it really hit me at that point um uh, but then on subsequent watches this is is vaulted very highly up there on my list and so yeah i thought that this was a uh really good one to talk about valentine's day i don't know if we've covered really any michelle gondry movies we've a couple of kaufman movies the adaptation but yeah. yeah, that should be a good one to, to discuss. It's it's on the fucking like AFI top 100 and IMDb top 250. It's, it's on all, all the lists you can imagine. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, just a really well reviewed, well respected, and I think beloved movie. Um, mm-hmm. I know there are plenty of people who say this is the best Jim Carrey movie uh, outside of his you know straight up comedies. This is kind of mm. the best acting he ever did. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Um, you know, there's a lot of pieces of this movie that, you know, made it something that was on my radar. I mean, I knew who Kate Winslet was because how could you not from Titanic? Didn't really matter how young you were. Everybody knew what Titanic was and everybody knew it was a PG-13 movie that you get to see uh, Kate Winslet naked in. So nothing wrong with that at the time. (laughs) I remember as like a (laughs) 10-year-old. But, um... But yeah, my mom, uh, yep, my mom covered my eyes in the theater. I remember my, my mom did the same thing. We we were at home, the double VHS tape, and you know when that scene came up, she'd like cover our eyes. She'd have to hold out both her arms. And it's like you know, what's the point of watching this movie if we can't watch all of it, Mom? But actually, a little, little sidebar on that. She also showed me The Godfather um, around the same age, and she held my she she covered my eyes during the scene with the horse head. But then she forgot to cover my eyes with the Apollonia scene. So it was just like, <laughs> what kind of mixed messages are you sending me here, Karen? But that's another story. So. Um, but yeah, 04, um, like you, I was watching a lot of stuff at the time. I was abusing my dad's Columbia House subscription, just getting, you know, Seven, Cuckoo's Nest, Alien, Aliens, uh, everything you can think of. Clockwork Orange, 2001. Amadeus, like mm. all mm-hmm. kinds of shit, and just knocking out movies going down the list of the top 250. Um, and I remember this came out and it got on that list very quickly, and everybody was talking about it. I knew it was something that I had to see. I, I and at the time, it's funny looking back now, but like I kind of knew who Kirsten Dunst was. I knew Jim Carrey and I knew Kate Winslet. But the big one of the big draws was it was Elijah Wood in a non-Lord of the Rings movie. Yep, coming um, right off that. And at the time, I was like, ah, it's, it's kind of weird seeing him in a normal role, you know? Um, it's not as weird now, but I, I remember that being a thing. And, you know, just curious about what the fuck this movie was, what it what it's about, what's going on. 
Um, and the trailer just having a lot of different stuff in it, and um, just some interesting visual stuff going on that was intriguing. But well, I mean, the the cast here. I mean, at the time, it wasn't you know, I I wouldn't think massive. Mark Ruffalo wasn't quite what he was at all yet. Kirsten Dunst was in between like what Spider Man one and two at the time, yeah. and yeah, Tom Wilkinson had Batman Begins the next year. Right. I mean, yeah. So it's yeah, it was a, a huge. I mean, really big cast. Now that you look back on it, but yeah, at the time, it's. Yeah. Uh, Pretty, pretty smaller, but yeah, it's uh, well, I mean, Kaufman was kind of really yeah. at the peak too during this this era, I feel like, too, right after right. adaptation. So, right, and for me, I was always and to this day, I still am, am you know, I kind of attack movies the same way. I, I go for directors and writers, and I definitely knew who Kaufman was off of adaptation, but really, John Malkovich, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I. I had seen that movie. I thought that movie was completely fucking wacko. Um, still is, but at the time there was just nothing like that movie. So I, I, I was very interested in whatever Charlie Kaufman was going to do. I wanted to see it. I wanted to be aware of it and, and see what's going on. So um, yeah, th- there was a lot going for this movie without me having seen a single frame of it uh, leading up to it. But, but um, Chad, do you have any uh, box office info or anything like that for the flick? I do indeed. So this uh, this movie released on March 19th, 2004. So we're coming up right on the 20-year anniversary. It released with Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead. Same wow. Same weekend. Uh, weekends before that, we had Secret Window with Johnny Depp. So I was telling you about wow. pre-air. Like, I, I remember all these vividly in the theater. Uh, Starsky and Hutch was two weeks before that. Uh, Jersey Girl and the Lady Killers and yep. Scooby-Doo 2 the weekend after. Wow. It's kind of funny. This movie grossed uh, 8.1 million opening weekend on a 20 million dollar budget. Uh, it ended up grossing 34 all in domestic and 75 million worldwide. So uh, definitely a decent return on your investment there. Yeah, not bad. Features. Uh, yeah, that's uh, yeah 2004. I mean, it, yeah, and this was also nominated for two Oscars. Kate Winslet was nominated for uh, Best Actress. Do you know? Who, do you know who she lost to? Can you guess? 2004. So we've been in the 05 ceremony, the 77th. I mean, I can't think of a movie from 2004 off the top of my head, but I'm just going to go with, like, relatively safe money and say uh, Meryl Streep. I don't know. Ah, so Hillary Swank for Million Dollar Baby. That oh, year. there you that go. That was that year, yep. Okay. Which was okay. the movie that we're still, yeah, really relevant. Twenty. I, I don't know anybody that really <laughs> talks about that movie at all, but hey, we're talking about... Uh, Eternal Sunshine. Sideways was also that year. Finding Neverland, The Aviator, Ray. That was the big Ray year, Jimmy Fox. So yeah. yeah, man, Finding Neverland. That movie. That movie had a moment too. That was that was mm-hmm. like when people thought Mark Forster was a good director. Still, so <laughs> yeah, it's true. Very interesting. <laughs> this is also the the most recent film to win uh, original screenplay in it without being nominated for Best Picture, and it still is the case wow. of uh, as of 2024. So. Oh, that's that's fantastic. I mean, it totally yeah. deserves it. I, I'm not sure yeah. exactly what it was up against, but I, this is... I, I there are, One thing that I was reminded of when watching this again was that the, this is... There are a handful of movies that are true originals. This is a true original. This this is just such an interesting idea mm-hmm. and angle for a story. Um, super creative. It's shot in such an interesting way there's so much mm-hmm. so much about it but um but before we get into that let me just give some bullet points on what the story is so for those of you who are listening and haven't seen the movie i don't know why you would be doing that but still <laughs> a little plot synopsis um jim carrey plays joel 
and Joel is this sort of mopey, sad sack. He's not really a loser, but he he's clearly going through some kind of depression or loneliness. And he gets on a train and meets this girl, Clementine. They have, like, your traditional kind of uh, meet-cute thing. And then we see Joel in the car crying, and we go back to a time... Uh, or, or we go to the time, but it seems like we've advanced past them meeting to the point where maybe they're now breaking up and can't quite figure out why. Um, Joel is, is very sad about it. Clementine, I guess, has moved on. And then we find out that what has actually happened is that Clementine has decided to erase all memories of Joel in her brain through this uh, Lacuna Institute or the Lacuna Method. I can't remember which it is. Um, mm-hmm. By this doctor, this like experimental... Uh, procedure by which he is able to erase specific memories inside of the brain by mapping those memories with sort of emotional um, touchstones. And then over the course of a night of sleeping, uh, technicians come to your apartment, they remove all the memories from your mind, and you wake up the next day with no knowledge of ever having known the person. And uh, complications ensue from this procedure. So uh, a lot happens on the margins of this and and there are multiple characters that are are relevant here you have a couple of the technicians who are played by mark ruffalo and elijah wood you have the secretary of the office that's kirsten dunst you have the doctor himself that's tom wilkinson and then kate winslet's clementine um and where the movie goes from there is very interesting um the cool I, i don't even know quite where to start other than just say this is a very cool concept. There's not really, and maybe you can help me with this, but there's really not another movie that I can think of where somebody's inside their own mind trying to fight against what's going on outside of it. Maybe Inception has like a shade of this, but in a totally different style. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's such a like a like a strange kind of love story where it's not really about the characters falling in love. It's actually a movie about whether or not you would want to keep the memory of being in love with somebody like mm-hmm. works yeah. and all, you know? Yeah. Um, and such, such an interesting concept, but I remember seeing this for the first time and being kind of like blown away by it. But on this rewatch, I'm going to throw this to you first, Chad, you know, we're, we're, We've had different experiences in life when it comes to relationship stuff, right? So I think my read of some of what's going on in this movie may be a little bit different than yours. Mm -hmm. Um, But tell me a little bit about how you feel about Joel and and, and Clementine in this as as characters. Because I'm kind of interested to hear your take before I say what I'm going to say here. So... uh... What the thing I really like, one of the things I like about this movie a lot is that, that I feel like every time I watch it, I get something different out of it each time. Because I, I remember, like I said, the first time I watched it, I didn't quite get it. I was probably fifteen. Probably rewatched it when I was twenty, twenty-one, and and that's when I really started like, oh, okay, I get this movie now. You know, I I had a relationship at the time, high school sweetheart, had some relationships in college, this and this, and I was always like, man, Clementine is just. Like, what does Joel see in her? I don't understand. Like, and I always thought that she was kind of the villain, but at the same time, it's like 
I feel like these watches I've gotten a little bit of the Joel, like Joel's just kind of uh, a lost <laughs> like soul. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, yeah, it's hard to d- describe a little bit, but the, um, I don't know, like the, the irrationality of Joel mm. in, in these watches, like it, it, he's so irrational about love that it, it's, even we're gonna i don't even like there's not really spoilers to touch around but like so much of his perspective in this is like the final scene in the movie which we'll get to but it's just that 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 uh kind of replaying of what's gonna happen again like i think this 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 relationship is doomed no matter what right uh Mm even with the uplifting, like we're going to get back together. I think that kind of what the, that final scene of the movie is, is just showing like, they're just going to repeat the process. At least that's kind of how I've ta- always taken that uh, yeah. little like repeating type. But it, I, I think, yeah, with more viewings, I I've more along the lines of both of these people are just fucked up people. And, uh, love is irrational and you do irrational things for it. And yeah. even with the tapes, like the tapes you have, in, I don't, like I, I'm interested to see like your perspective too on this too like because of like if you were to receive a tape <laughs> of like all of me, of your uh, your significant other's uh, you don't know flaws and all this would you listen to that tape knowing so, yeah <laughs> you've um, been together so long I know it's, it's... <laughs> this is such a tough movie so I every other time I've seen this movie um you know, this is the first time I've seen it since I, I've been married, right? Now, mm. I've been with my wife for 16 years. So, like, we've been in it for the long haul for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think previously when I had seen this movie, it was at a time in my life when I wasn't really concerned with meeting somebody. You know, I, there, there was a time when I I genuinely just, I figured, you know what? I had a lot of, uh, this probably ties into some of the, the baggage I brought into the fucking Mrs. Doubtfire episode. But, you know, both my parents were divorced, uh, one of them multiple times. Um, yeah. You know, my, my home life was not, like, fantastic when I was really young. Um, so when you're a kid and you don't fully understand, like, being an adult and what that means and all that, you get some ideas in your head and you say, well, you know, home is not great. So, like, why the fuck would I ever get married to somebody and... Why would you ever want to, like, have a kid, right? Because the point, uh, like, bringing them into this particular party is not a party that I would attend if I had an option. You know what I mean? Um, So every time I had seen this movie previously, I, like you, put myself in Joel's headspace. And I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, this guy, something's wrong in his life, but he can't quite fix it. And he's got these, like unrealistic ideas of what being in love is supposed to be like. And, um, you know, I I feel bad for him. Um, This time around, though, I've got to say, I really found Joel to be a type of person that I no longer am at all. Um, Mm, He's completely reactive. I think that he is hard on himself to the point of being sort of emo and and has like oh, yeah. goth like tendencies you total know? the emo swoop even he's got the hair going before you big know time. that big movement time. right <laughs> and i just found his character this time around at the start to be 
I don't want to say grading, but I definitely had more problems with him at first than I ever had watching this movie before. Um, now, you had mentioned the ending. My reading of the ending this time was actually that I think that these two characters... And again, I want to talk about the direction and some other stuff too, but, but just while we're on the ending. I think that the ending reads as these two people have actually grown for the first time ever because they both had to confront what was wrong with each other in in sort of a meaningful way, and they both accept it. And I think going forward, it, the, the ending was actually more hopeful than, than I, I thought it would be watching mm-hmm. it this time. So interesting we had different readings well, well, on that. well i mean you, you're in a 16 year uh happy you know marriage i am a divorced man so you sure know, we're, we're gonna get some different perspectives here but, correct yeah you know so it's kind of interesting so, yeah but so the thing too that i took away with these watches too that i mean so much so that i'm i'm not i'm not saying that i'm all in fully clementine's side she's very fucked up as well but this whole movie we're seeing from Joel's memories of exactly. what it was, correct? Right. So I mean, like, exactly. who knows if that? I mean, there's always two sides to every story. Right. This is what he's seeing, of course, and so it's like, yeah, you, you, yeah. I think as you watch this movie more watches, you get a lot more out of it, and just with that alone, it's like, yeah, okay. So this is just his perspective. We're in his head right now. So right. you know, Clementine might not have been this way, you know, but right. How reliable yeah. is this narrator at the end? Uh-huh, of the day? Exactly. Um, yep. There's definitely a shade of that that I, I kind of picked up on this time, and again, I never really thought about previously. But, sure. um, but yeah, I you know that that being said, I, I do want to talk a little bit about um, how this movie's put together. So, you know, there's a there's a there's an interesting structure in place because you basically have, I would say, twenty maybe twenty five minutes of a relatively straightforward narrative. And then when you're told about the memory erasure by Clementine, things kind of get turned on their head and then things get a little bit crazier. And then we get into Joel's brain. And once we get into Joel's brain, the inventiveness of Michelle Gondry is really something to see. Um, oh, yeah. I love the way that this guy, he, he structures scenes so that Joel will be inside his own head viewing himself having a conversation with somebody else. So the way that Gondry would shoot the scene is he would choreograph it with Jim Carrey to play both parts at the same time during a single take. So he'd have to move on one side of a camera than the other, take a hat off, put a hat back on. You'd have certain characters show up on other sides of the room and doubles would make it look as though there were more than one of a person in a space. He would do things like take full pieces of plexiglass that were diffused to make it look like somebody was blurred and out of focus behind a character and then just just walk down the street holding up a giant piece of plexiglass between you know Kate Winslet and Jim Carrey to, to make mm-hmm. that look interesting. <laughs> um, th- there's a scene where Kate Winslet's walking down the street and the memories are melting around her and you see, if you look at her feet, she's only got one leg. One like, leg. <laughs> yeah. Car falls out of the sky. You yep. have smeared faces of people in the background and it's just the visual style of the movie so interesting but also to me so true with how dreams can feel sometimes um Mm. it's funny i I don't know if it was in advance of this show or what but i don't typically remember my dreams and sure enough this morning i woke up from kind of like a stress dream not quite a nightmare but this like vivid uh scene that 
happened while I was sleeping. And mm. there are aspects of that where, you know, you're in one place and then it just kind of shifts and you're in a different place and shifts again and the circumstances have changed. I don't know. This this is kind of the only movie that's captured that in the way that a dream actually feels for me. No. Um, even though other movies have gone into dreamscapes and things like that. This one actually feels like a dream, uh, which is really cool. Um, yeah, I mean, he captures it all so well. Yeah, uh, I mean, the, the the forced perspective stuff is just fucking great in this. It's very, like, you Absolutely. know, Peter Jackson, Lord of the Rings-esque, like when he's a kid with a table. There's even some special features on this that he's... That table is, you know, totally slanted. That you're getting, you're looking at it, and he's underneath, and he walks by, and he's so tiny, and then comes back. And yeah, it's yeah. it's really cool. I mean, it's there's so many of the behind the scenes stuff on this Blu-ray too that he's like, him and Jim Carrey like legit like were at each other's throats a lot during this like filmmaking process, like just yeah. because of he's a very demanding like I want this from you, I want. And if you see any of Jim Carrey's interviews about it, that he's like. I think it was a full year or something before uh, they they filmed it, and he was, like, out of a breakup or something. He's like, I wish you would be like this now or, like, keep this these emotions a year from now or something. Yeah. It's like you keep feeling these emotions. It's, it's just wild. But, yeah, I mean, all of the, the filmmaking techniques that Gondry uses in this are just, like, A+. plus. I, I have no complaints with any of that. Yeah, I uh, you, you teed up a clip that I have nicely. I actually have a bit of an interview with Carrie and Gondry here. Oh, okay, um, nice. There was so this was like a I don't know fifteen minute interview with the two of them, and there were sections where they were talking through fights that they had on set and how you know Jim Carrey basically goes up to him and, and he's pissed off and, he, and Gondry says to him, "Are you going to punch me in the face?" And Carrie says, "No," and then they kind of continue on with the scene, and <laughs> all kinds of shit. But uh, I can't remember which bit I carved out of this, but let's give it a listen. There comes a time in every boy's life where he's faced with, uh, you know, uh, take the BB gun and kill the bird or whatever it was. And I can't believe that, you know, I, I couldn't believe I was in a movie that would allow that. Yeah, yeah. But it's so poignant and so real for every boy. I mean, I don't know, especially in this day and age, how, how many people can't identify with the feeling that there's nobody there for them or that they're too busy to pick them up or... Whatever, I think we all have that innately in us. We're looking for somebody to pick us up, even now. It's the challenge of every boy growing up. I mean, you're, you're either the guy sitting on the step going, I'm never going to go up there, or there's a series of boys, one after another, going up the challenge. I would never go and challenge anyone. I would just stay on no, my own. No, you'd, you'd think your way around it. You're like the guy who's like, uh, you know, I can't really play basketball, but... No, I would stand aside and say, well, maybe give the ball to him, and then this one open the hole. Oh, <laughs> direct it. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I pulled that clip from the interview because despite as like like all the fighting and the animosity that the two of them had, I like that after all of it, Carrie was a big enough man to kind of give Gondry his flowers there and say, like, mm. you know, you're you're smart enough to figure out a way around a challenge rather than engage with the challenge, which I I don't know, I, I kinda I, I really admire that. Um nope. that they you know, they they didn't hold like a like a long-lasting grudge. Um, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. But um, but so as far as Kaufman movies go, and, you know, he's had a few, but the three main ones that I think about when I think about Kaufman are definitely this adaptation in Malkovich. Yep. What order would you put them in, in terms of, like, best to worst? And worst being relative. Like, it's not worst, just yeah, best I, to, like, I think... best. 
Yeah, all three great movies. Yeah, it's, it's tough. But, I mean, I'm going to show my hand here. This is probably number one for me of those three. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And probably then the Adaptation and then John Malkovich. But, I mean, but it's it's really hard, man. I think it's, uh, they're all three really rewatchable. And I think with his scripts and stuff, like I was saying, you just get you get something out of them each different time. Like You pick something up each time you watch them. And, yeah, I mean, I, I that's the, the movie homework we did a few years ago, which if you have not listened, I would recommend going back that was one of my favorite episodes i think we just yeah, yeah it's just really yeah I, adaptation is so good it's just so good <laughs> yeah it's it's funny i i gotta say I, I have not really connected with a kaufman movie since this one like i've i've been okay yep. with a few of them but it, it's it's amazing how he came out of the gate I, I think he wrote something before malkovich that wasn't that great but Malkovich adaptation and Eternal Sunshine to me are, are just like what a what a run like if that's all he ever does man he's he's a legend like these are yeah these are just three totally unique interesting uh, like visions of of movies I each one offers something so special and different um, from one another uh, even though Malkovich and adaptation have a little bit of connective tissue there. Um, I just, yeah, it's it's a very interesting uh, body of work. Um, I think I would, you know, I haven't seen Malkovich in a while, but I think I'd probably go Sunshine Malkovich adaptation, but it's it's such mm-hmm. a slim margin. It, it's just yeah. tough. Um, so yeah. where do you where do you fall with Synecdoche, New York, then? Because that is a movie that I, I feel like that was in that era of, you know what I mean, it was coming off of, There'll Be Blood in No yeah. Country the year before in 08. Yeah. And I remember seeing it, but I don't think I've seen it since. Like, that's the thing. I think, I think, I think I've only seen that movie one time, and I love Philip Seymour so much. That's yeah. a movie that I've, like, it's always there. Like, that is one I have to go back to revisit. I just haven't. Um, mm. But I know it's very like, divisive. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like prime movie homework fodder to me. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. no, I, I would agree. I would, I would, yeah. I'm, um, add it to the list. That was one that I believe... Me and the guys traveled to Boston to see, and I think we all kind of walked away with the same feeling that it was clearly special, but that we had no fucking idea what it was about, mm. um, and yeah. that there was like there was enough there to kind of form your own opinion about what you thought it was, but that ultimately by the end of the movie, I, I just had no solid idea of what 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 like, the themes were, you know. Um, yeah, I think I'm in the same camp as you. I'm, I I don't know that I've seen it since then. Um, so let's, let's I, make a note. You know, yeah, and I I, I'm, I remember seeing I watched Anomalisa when it came out, which I thought was good but not great. And I've never watched. I think I'm thinking of anything. So I, a lot of people I know did not enjoy it, and I just have not gotten around to it yet. But yeah, yeah, well, I'm so. I'm one of those people that you know that didn't enjoy it. So. <laughs> <laughs> See, I thought I, I thought I remember some bingers like fucking hated it. I I, I can't remember who it was though. <laughs> uh, hates a very strong word, but yeah, it just it, it, it was not. All I can say about that movie is that it was not um, as cre- it, it wasn't as creative as it thought it was. You know, uh, okay. Uh, it has a weird slant that I'll uh, I'll save for another time, but. But yeah. Um, all right. So a little bit more on Eternal Sunshine. So uh, you know we were talking about Kaufman, but I I go back and forth with with Jim Carrey on this one because I do think that the Truman Show is another 
incredible performance. I think that that one maybe is a little bit more of a, a standard kind of movie star performance. So, you know, maybe between this and Eternal Sunshine, it doesn't necessarily win out most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. But if I had any complaints about this movie, I, I got to say the Joel character really, really bugged me for a, a, a lot of chunks of this. Um, mm. Didn't hate him, but certainly was not on board with his whole outlook on life the way I, I had been in the past. Um, just, yeah, some, something about him. Um, can't quite place it. I think part of the problem for me is that he really reminds me of somebody I know. And uh, it's it's very difficult for me to uh, <laughs> to bifurcate that image from my from my mind. I can tell you who it is off air, but um, gotcha. Okay. But yeah, that's okay. that, that's also a problem. So um, gotcha. So that's definitely an issue. But but I, I have to say, I think it might be my favorite Kate Winslet movie. I mean, I, I don't know of another one that I like more than this. So. Yeah, she's she's great. Just yeah, from the from the from the opening scene on the train that you see her, and then she's just yeah, very. Uh, charismatic but fucked up i mean I, I wrote down the four things that i'm like listen joel these are the four signs that you should have seen giant red flags with this this uh this woman hmm. uh I, I wrote them down just just second watch this week um number one pouring bombay sapphire gin and coffee i mean hmm. that's a serial killer behavior right there i mean if you're gonna pour booze and coffee it's like a bourbon or something or a rum it's not fucking yeah. gin, especially Bombay. Come on, like what are you what are you doing here? Um, I mean, does that even really water it down at all? It's just, it's, it's a weird oh, it choice. has to be. It just has to be the most putrid. I, I can't say I've ever done it or ever will do it, but oh, yeah. um, I mean, number one was probably the blue hair. I mean, that's it's, it's a, a stigma. Oh, Come on. Well, uh, let me just say with the blue hair though, the blue hair wouldn't be so bad if you know it was like freshly dyed. But the fact that. Mm. It's blue, but like two inches of the roots are still what pink from the last shot yeah. or something. It's just like holy shit, man. Well, there's a listen. The dating scene in 2024 is a uh, <laughs> it's a it's a cesspool of just golems and, and awfulness uh, right. for the most part. <laughs> but, but blue hair is a, it's a it's a number one red flag. Uh, but so this is 20 years ago, right? So we didn't didn't know what we know now. Um, Number three, potato min collection back at the uh, yeah. the apartment. Yeah, um, you gotta, uh, you gotta, you gotta. I mean, that, you should know right off the bat. Come on, like, what's going on here? At least, at least hide that until like the third or fourth date or something. You're trying to impress a guy. You bring him right back. He, he sees that collection. Um, yeah. And then number four, the I'm gonna marry you. I know it within the first, uh, you know. Yeah, that's that's. Uh, I, I got a problem that's, right there. <laughs> that's a good list. That's a very good list. I, so I just wrote them all four down. These are all the first eighteen minutes of the movie before the title card even comes up. So I'm like, Joel, I, I don't, I don't feel bad for you. All these signs and flags are right yeah. there. Can I add a fifth detail? You absolutely can. Absolutely um, can. I, now, now, granted, uh, like I said, I've been in a relationship for sixteen years, so dating. I, I, I haven't been in a dating scene for over half my life. Um, The whole, I meet you on a train and then I'm so wacky that I'm still going to invite you back to my apartment that night seems really fast. Am I crazy Mm. there? Um, it depends on the girl. Okay. Okay. So I guess that's just, yeah, I didn't know. I mean, you're not, you're not wrong. You're not, I mean, yeah, I mean, typically, if that's the the case, uh, that's happening with every guy, right? And then you're like, mm, 
Oh, exactly. right. You know, exactly. so it's, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you don't feel special by any means. Sure, sure. <laughs> All right, good to know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Dating in 2024 is, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, <laughs> Sounds like it, but, but yeah. All right, um, actually, while we're here, I do have a clip from earlier in the film, that first 20-minute uh, segment you were talking about. Just part of their, like, meet-cute scene. One reason why I wanted to grab this clip was I think it does a good job of showing how they there's there's like a weird traction going on, but you can also tell that there are problems that neither of them are, are really able to articulate yet. Um, so let's give this a shot. Do I know you? Do you ever shop at Barnes and Noble? Sure. That's it. Yeah. I've seen you, man. Book slave there for like five years now. Oh. Jesus. I would thought I would remember five you. Years? It might be the hair. What might? It changes a lot, the color. That's oh. why you might not recognize me. It's called Blue Ruin. Right. Color. Snappy name, huh? I like it. Anyway, this company makes a whole line of colors with equally snappy names. Red, Red Menace, Yellow Fever, Green Revolution. That'd be a job, coming up with those names. You think there could possibly be a job like that? I mean, how many hair colors could there be? Fifty, maybe. Someone's got that job. Agent Orange. I came up with that one. I apply my personality in a paste. Oh, I doubt that very much. Well, you don't know me, so... You don't know, do you? Yeah, there's there's something there. It's like they don't know how to communicate with one another, but they're like kind of flirting. I mean, I guess her more than him, but it's just there's like an awkwardness to it that I it, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I can't think of another instance that captures that particular brand of awkward. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. But interesting stuff. So it, it worked again. I guess again. <laughs> we don't. Right. We don't know. The, yeah. <laughs> well, who knows? Who knows for sure? But uh, you know, true. flip a coin on that one for yourself. <laughs> All right, uh, now's as good a time as any for some superlatives. I think so. Let's kick it off. That's that dude. All right, this is the Kupka, and all right, I'm I'm just gonna go with David Cross here. Uh, I like when David Cross pops up in things. Um, he's uh, I don't know. He's he's kind of. Uh, He's, he's one of the goats of just, if he shows up in something, it's like 15% better. Um, this movie's better with him in it, same way that a movie like Best in Show is better with him in it for one scene with no other actors. But it's David Cross. Yeah, you gotta love the guy. So. Um, piece of shit. That was mine. Uh, <laughs> he... Rob is just fucking great. He's in two se- or three scenes. And the one scene, he's just like, anyone want to join? And he gives him the envelope. Like He's like, this is what we got from Clementine. And the next scene, he's like, hi, making a birdhouse. And like screaming at her to like calm the fuck down. He's great yeah. in this movie. So yeah, easily, easily David Cross is Rob. Um, One thing with his character, it actually has nothing to do with his character. It has to do with Gene Adams' character. Um. I am so tainted by the movie She Dies Tomorrow that unfortunately for Jane Adams, that is all that I can think about whenever she pops up in something now. 
And uh, I don't know that she's ever going to be able to wash that snake off her career. So, Do you mean a former movie homework she dies tomorrow? <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Unfortunately. 2020 was a dark time. Okay? Oh, it was. It was, uh, it was. That was the movies we missed in 2020. And it was like, first cow that... <laughs> Don't remember. There's a lot of not good movies. <laughs> just, yeah. just rough. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm just gonna say uh, publicly, I'm willing to admit that I was not ready for First Cow, and that maybe with time, that's a movie that I, I, I could see myself revisiting and getting something out of. But uh, that day was not when we recorded. <laughs> that day is not today, and tomorrow's not looking great either. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> All right. Well, fucking what the fuck? Here we go. Punchable face. Did you have anybody for this? I mean, I fucking hate Elijah Wood. Uh, the Patrick, get the fuck out of here with those sideburns, you little shitty goatee. He literally is just a worm of a character in this movie. Fucking yeah. steals her panties. He fucking uses all of her trauma basically against her. I mean, the guy's just the worm. Very punchable face. I also am not a big... I feel like I've told this story before, but I'm not an Elijah Wood fan at all. Solely, oh, solely, not, not 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 necessarily anything to do with his acting. It's solely to do with the fact that this guy, I would say 10 years ago, was going around on tour with his DJ friend. It was called Wooden Wisdom. Uh, have you heard the story before? No. Okay, so... <laughs> Me and a couple friends were like, oh, shit, Frodo, DJ Frodo is going to be at this little dive bar in Kansas City. It's a 150-person cap venue, super tiny. It's going to be there. We're like, why the fuck not? It's a Friday night. We'll go. We get there at 8 when the doors open. Uh, the dude's supposed to go on at 9. We wait around for legitimately three hours. It is 11 o'clock. This dude has still not gone on. And we're Jeez. like, we at this point, we're just drinking. And like, at this point, we're like, what the fuck is happening? He comes on like 1115 with the DJ. It is the worst like DJ set I've ever heard. Like, not that any DJ sets are very good, but this was like another level. And he wasn't doing anything. He's just like holding his hands up in the air like the other guys doing all the work. And I'm just like, we left probably after three or four songs. And I'm like, Elijah Wood's dead to me. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with him as a punchable face just because it's Elijah Wood. <laughs> Okay, so I'm I'm also choosing Elijah Wood for punchable face. So you, you said everything correct here. That being said, uh, I can never put Elijah Wood, the person, on a list of just shitty people for for a litany of reasons. Number one, he and Daniel Radcliffe seem to both have figured out how to use their fame to their advantage. I am so interested and intrigued by their choices as actors and producers, um, that it's impossible for me to not like both of these guys. Um, now, I haven't had a personal experience like you did with you know a, a live <laughs> performance. That certainly sounds like it sucked. But <laughs> Elijah Wood, the fact that he was in a remake of Maniac that he produced, he did that movie Come to Daddy. He's in the Toxic Avenger yep. remake that's coming out mm -hmm. that looks fucking dope as hell. I just love what this guy has done with his fame, and I, I, I'm going to get behind him every time on that front. Um, on another front, that's, this is actually a very interesting recent development. So you and I collect these uh, boutique label posters, right? And Mondo kind of started the trend, but in recent years, they've been bought out by another company, and they've really squandered the brand, and people are unhappy with Mondo overall. Well... 
Elijah Wood actually put his money and his clout behind a new company called Mutant Pressing. And Mutant is having their first poster releases in about a week or two. Um, and he, they're, they're actually, he's gotten a lot of the old printers and managers from Mondo to be a part of his company. And they're going to be doing what Mondo does, using his clout to get licenses and you know work as a print shop. Um, but he essentially is, is kind of saving the old Mondo uh, ecosystem in a lot of ways. Um, nice. And as you know, as a collector in the space, I'm I'm a huge fan of what he's doing there. So um, he is a great sniveling piece of shit in this movie. He's pathetic. Um, he's absolutely emotionally manipulative and and deserves to be punched in the face. But uh, real life Elijah Wood, man, I I would I would send him a five dollar bill in the mail. That's what I would do. So, uh, I think Very we're, nice. We're gonna be. In, opposite poles on that one but. listen i have no problems with these movies okay i don't feel at home in this world anymore i like that movie a lot come sure. to daddy like you said yeah i got no problem with the guy as an actor just yeah. uh just show up to your shows a little early guy okay that's all i'm asking that's all i'm asking i i think <laughs> I, I do think that's fair but moving on tell me something about something i was reading about all right favorite quote uh this is the first time that i can remember on movie homework, I could not choose a quote, and here's why. They're too fucking emo, man. Out of context, the script of this movie is so fucking pathetic. <laughs> like, every line is like, you know, oh, Valentine's Day was uh, invented by greeting card companies to make people feel like crap, or... Um, <laughs> it's There's so much droopy, mopey, dopey shit, and I... While watching the movie, it didn't bother me as much. But man, looking through the quotes afterwards, I was like, I cannot put my weight behind any of these. So I actually, uh, I don't have a quote for you today. I, I wrote three down just because I thought they were pretty funny. Uh, um, I'm a vindictive little bit, bitch. Oh, my God, I can't even talk. I'm a vindictive <laughs> little bitch, truth be told. thought that was pretty good. Uh, I assume you fuck someone tonight. Isn't that how you get people to like you? And uh, I'm just a fucked up girl who's looking for a... My own peace of mind. Don't assign me yours. Very emo, right? I mean, you're 100% spot on, but they're all, in their own context, pretty funny. uh, I think it's really interesting, and maybe a testament to Gondry, that all of this stuff in the script doesn't really read in the movie as emo. But out of context, there's like... There's just nothing more, you know, like when, when's the fucking black parade going to be playing while these lines are set? You know, it's just, it's so on the nose douchey, but yeah, a testament to the, to the filmmaking there. Listen, my chemical romance album came out in 06, not 04. I mean, whoa, wow. Whoa, whoa, that wasn't supposed to happen. Yeah. Uh, well, either way, I mean, I, I still would hear that there. All right. Fuck it. You know what? Thank you, TM. I mean, wow. Okay. Uh, what's held up the best or the worst? We'll do this one first. What, what do you got there? I think just the premise alone, I, I think it's 20 years later. I think it holds up really well. Uh, I, I love the just, just the sci-fi elements of this movie, because this is not just a romantic. I mean, we, we haven't really touched on a lot of that. It's, it's, this is a sci-fi movie as well, but it's like the whole procedure itself. Like you could have gotten in the weeds of like, oh, well, why is it this? And they keep it so simple, and they're just like, you know, get rid of this memory, this memory. It's it's very, I, I don't know. They just don't spend a lot of time on that, which I think would take away from a lot of this. And that, so that in general, I think aged very well. 
uh, even 20 years later. And I think even 10, 20 years from now, I think it will still age very well because it's, it's, yeah. there's not a lot of time spent on that. So, Yeah, that's a good call. Um, yeah, so as far as what's aged the best, I, I think the direction and overall the performances. I, I've, I've, I've picked some nits with the Joel character, but I think for the most part it, it lands pretty well. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just astounded by the direction. I mean, again, just the way that the sort of like memories inside the mind feel like dreams that are being like taken away in real time the way that Gondry is able to, to visualize that in different ways, you know? Um, for instance, there's a scene where they're talking inside the Barnes and Noble and all of a sudden the books on all the shelves go white and it's as if like data is being erased. Right. And then later on when they're at Montauk, the scene is getting darker and darker and darker and darker as it goes to also symbolize that sort of lost memory happening. Um, I just love that there isn't a standard way for Gondry to show the memories are being erased, but it's like you said, the ideas are not so complicated that you don't like instantly get it right. You, you know what is happening as it's happening. I, I think that's a real, real testament to the direction. Um, no. And like I said before, as far as what's held up the worst, it's it, the script is, it's just too emo for me at times. Um, mm. There's just too much of the, the mopey dopey bullshit, but yeah. All right. Love, bro. I know this is a hot Love. take. <laughs> Love, sure. Uh, most entertaining scene. Um, for me, I really like the sequence with the forced perspective stuff uh, of Clem as the babysitter. Um, and, you know, everything they're, they're doing there, um, the way that Carrie plays it as a, a four year old. Uh, he has that one line. He's like, "Oh, it's unbelievable the urge that I want her to hold me right now." I'm talking about his mom. Um, yeah, it's a pretty good scene there. Um, yeah, I agree. My, I went with. It's like the sequence where the he's originally laying on the ice with her, and he's like, "I'm just like the happiest I've ever been," and then she starts disappearing. But then you get in conjunction with that. That's really when he notices everything just starts vanishing around him, and they run through the little. Uh, like train station, but at the yeah. same time, the flashback you got, you know, uh, Ruffalo and Kirsten Dunst just like doing their fucking ridiculous dance, like on the bed right. with that. I think that's this pretty good scene in general, just kind of both perspectives of him, uh, what's happening at the time. So, yeah, that works. Best use of music. Did you have anything for this? No, I think my favorite. I love the soundtrack. I've listened to it many times throughout the years. The the Beck single is always great. But uh, this the my favorite song is. It's got three different names if you look at the soundtrack because it, it's like a different. Uh, there's like one like really analog version of it. One just straight like acoustic. But it's it's collecting things. Phone call and spotless mind by John Brion. Uh, you would know instantly if you you listen to it. It's like the first yeah. kind of. Uh, little bit of strings you hear like 10 minutes into the movie but yeah. that that just in the bay i that that just like i hear that and it just makes me think of eternal sunshine every time i hear it so I mean, yeah. that's that's probably what it stands out to me the most nice you? very nice um I'm, I'm gonna cheat a little bit on this one just because it's so identical with well so identifiable with this movie for me but i have to say mr blue sky and i know it's mm. primarily oh, yeah. in the trailer but it's just like i you know people talk a lot about when they're young and they see things for the first time and, or, or when they listen to bands for the first time 
and how they're always going to love that band no matter what happens. It's just you were at the right age and you were impressionable and you know you you were there and it reminds you of a time and a place. Um, watching this trailer again, I was immediately brought back to it, and I have to say it's it is the first thing that I think of when it comes to this movie. Um, even though it's not really anywhere but the trailer, you know. So um, yeah. I, I'm choosing Mr. Blue Sky, even though that kind of breaks the rule. So, hey, it's one of those. it works. It's on the soundtrack. Yeah, that's right. Dynamite <laughs> drop in, Monty. All right, casting swap here. So, um, I it, it's tough because I think that this is a very good cast. Um, so I started looking on the margins, see who I could swap out and maybe add a little star power in, and sure enough, I came across uh, this actor, Thomas. Thomas is it Joy Thomas Joy Ryan I think, um, yeah his neighbor, I, yeah Frank. Yeah. Um, uh huh. <laughs> he's a Canadian actor who did a bunch of movies with Hal Hartley. Now I don't know a lot about Hal Hartley, but I know that he made a series of films about a character called Henry Fool, whose wife is Faye Grimm. Faye Grimm's played by Parker Posey, and then I think they have a daughter. Whose name escapes me, but I'm pretty sure Aubrey Plaza plays her in her own movie. Um, and Hal Hartley, he was like a like an indie filmmaker from Canada in the '90s who was pretty notable. But I, I don't think he, his movies ever got like a whole lot of attention. Just he was pretty prolific and made a specific type of movie for a while there. But I guess this guy worked with him quite a bit, and that may be how he got onto this set. I don't know, but I don't know him from anything else. So if we're gonna swap anybody, he's a prime candidate. 2004, who needs a boost in 2004? Well, arguably, he gets the biggest boost of his career a couple of years later here and is the you know, person we know today. But I think that this is a nice place where you can just slot in Robert Downey Jr. in a little role. Um, he's not doing much. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang comes out around this time. But otherwise, like, what else has he got going on? You know, Just put him in there. I don't think that that's the kind of role that's going to shoot his profile up so high that he doesn't get picked for Iron Man and, you know, things don't happen the way they happen. Um, so, I, I don't know. RDJ here feels right to me. I like it. I like it. Yeah, that's such a, like, one-off scene that, yeah, you kind of forget that he's even in the movie. Right. Um, I easily went with Elijah Wood here. I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it, it had to happen. Um, it's unreal. Unfucking real. The man does his job, and you—he's fine. He's fine. He's—he's—he is uh, a real cocksucker in this movie. He plays it well. But I—I always do this. I say 1981. He was born in 1981, Hmm. so I, you know, I do my thing. Actors around the time, 80, 81, 82. And I looked at an actor that I'm like, man, this guy was coming off of. He had a good run in 01 with Donnie Darko and Bubble Boy. Didn't have much going on from 01. To 04 where we get the day after tomorrow but he could have easily slid in this this role right here of patrick jake gyllenhaal is who i went with that's you know a good pick you know put him there he's got that little little bit of the nerd he's not quite what he is now he's kind of this hunk now everybody knows him as but yeah i think that was the beginning and then the day after tomorrow he kind of starts getting his his broke back was the, the year after and then he really mm-hmm. kind of took off with zodiac and all that but yeah and jarhead even yeah those that sure. whole run but yeah i went with gyllenhaal Sorry, Elijah Wood. I'm sure you're a great person, and I'm sure we could have a drink and be fine, but I'm still mad at you from 10 years ago and that experience, you know. 
Wow, that's a that's a lot to take in. Uh, yeah, good pick. <laughs> I, I like Gyllenhaal. I, I like Gyllenhaal and everything. So I, you know, yep. put him in put him in anything. He'd be great, I think. But um, all right, well, last one here. If we were going to do a casting swap for somebody on the bench staff, uh, did you have any anybody in mind? I mean, listen, I've never picked you until Black Hat, but I'm picking you again oh for this. I need you to be you're one of the erasers, all right? You 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 you're going to be you're going to be dialed in. You're not going to be like Ruffalo where he's inviting, you know, a floozy over and he's just hooking up with her and doing his thing. You're going to be locked whoa, whoa, whoa. in. I mean, come on. who's the floozy? Like let's, let's find out first, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> we might we might be. Yeah, yeah. I feel like you're going to be dialed in and you're just like I'm I'm here to do a job. Uh, here we go, get to work, you know, that fucking, that drop, and you're ready, you're ready to go, and you're going to erase this guy's mind, so I went with you as one of the erasers. <laughs> I like it, I like it, I fit in there. Um, all right, well, you should be happy about this, because I'm going to swap out Elijah Wood, because he sucks so much, uh, but, okay, so who who would be great to see as just a creepy fuck, right, like, skeevy, uh, probably like a, maybe a little bit greasier than Elijah Wood is, is oh, no. because like it would just it would look better. Um, somebody who is of ill repute and has a bad reputation. And uh, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking it's you, and you would be wrong actually. Although you I'm, not me. I'm not thinking uh, me. I'm not... No, no, it, it's definitely our our resident uh, citizen from south of the border, and it's Alex, a hundred percent. I just want to see him in here with like. You know, a pack of Marlboro Reds and, uh, you know, a little bit more of a five o'clock shadow still has the sideburns. And it's just like, hey, uh, hey, 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 Clem, how you doing, babe? You know, I just I want to see it. I, I'd watch that movie. Who wouldn't? Who wouldn't? You'd pay five bucks to see that at least. Maybe even ten. I mean, but. maybe 15. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. We'll see. But, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. Alex in this role, I think it's a, I think it's a natural fit. So we'll, like it. Uh, we'll see what he thinks of that one. But all right. All right, man. Um, as always, we got to give this movie a letter grade, and I'm going to throw to you first on this one. I want to see how high you're going to go with this score. Cause I, All right, I so be pretty high. before we get to letter grades, can I have a few more things? Oh, absolutely. Uh, all right, so this doesn't apply to love, obviously. You're a happily married man. Would you ever, if this procedure was ever invented in the future, would you ever consider... Anything just to remove like one core memory, one bad thing, one anything that happened in your life. Like, just, yeah. would you ever consider this procedure for that? Because no. he says it's like a heavy night of drinking. I mean, I gotta, sometimes that happens, you know. I yeah. have a decent amount of those throughout a year, yeah. you know. Yeah, that's happened that's like it, one or seven or eight times, but if that's all it is, sure. <laughs> um, that is such an interesting question. Um, erase a memory. I don't know how it would be feasible. So let me, let me ask, let me present it this way. To me, it would be very difficult to erase a memory because if, okay, so I, I'm thinking in terms of movies, right? I want to erase my memory of Pulp Fiction because I want to be able to experience it again for the uh, first time. Mm -hmm. But how could you ever do that if you just erase Pulp Fiction? It, see, it would seem impossible to get rid of that and not nuke all recognition of like movies. 
Ah, to be brave. Sure. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, would I change something? I don't think I would. I don't think I would. I think that, and I think this is the point of the movie, ultimately, but like, you are the sum total of your experiences, and there have definitely been hard times, but I feel like they have helped me become who I am. And I think that losing those memories would would not, I, I just wouldn't be the same person, you know? And I don't know that the alternative would be a person that I'd want to be. So I think that's the answer. I, I, I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, as I said, I've been, I'm divorced, but I wouldn't change that, right? It's yeah. like, if I just erase that entire relationship from my past, then, you know, I mean... You know, I'm standing on what? What am I doing here? You know, I, I you live and you learn, right? So that, that's that's the thing. I mean, I think the biggest crime against yourself would be not growing as a person from those experiences. Sure, right? Exactly. Yep. Um, yeah. Like there's there's a reason why you know in your case you you got married, and there's a reason why you decided to get divorced. And I think it's important to understand the arc and trajectory of that so that when those sure. choices mm-hmm. are available to you again, you, you have a better handle on whether or not that's worth, worth doing, you know? Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yep. Like, I mean, that, like, you pretty much summed it up to a T which is why I have the same thing. It's like, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I feel like though, a lot of people in this generation though, probably would though. Right. It's like a, it's like almost like a numbing thing. We don't want to feel or like, uh, yeah. right. I, I, yeah, I, I feel like if this was ever developed, which who fucking knows what twenty years from now is, this yeah, might yeah. be a thing in ten, fifteen years. But uh, yeah, I mean, I yeah, I just think yeah, you erase that, you erase a huge chunk of who you are as a, as a person. So yeah, yeah, there. You know, it's funny. <laughs> this is actually reminding me of a of a Star Trek movie, um, and and kind of what most people think is the worst one, but. Uh, so Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, is the one directed by William Shatner. And mm-hmm. there's a, I think we might have talked about this before. There's a lot of bullshit in that movie. It is not a good movie. I have some nostalgic like for it because I was so young when I saw it. But there's a scene where the main antagonist of the movie, Spock's brother, um, is offering to relieve people of their pain by doing a Vulcan mind meld and removing the memory of their pain. And, oh, excuse me. Uh, Bones, he's all about it. And I think Kirk goes up to him and the guy's name escapes me, but he, he basically says, you know, let, uh, let me remove your pain, brother. And Kirk says, no, I don't want my pain. I need my pain. It's, you know, it's what helped mold me and shape me and I I need those memories um, like when, when you're a kid right you ride on your bike and you skin your knee well the next time you ride your bike you're either going to wear knee pads or you're going to learn not to fall that way to skin your knee again mm-hmm. erasing the yeah. memory of the skin knee would actually deprive you of experience that you have like, like okay <laughs> this is a real example for me um, this happened to me like four or five years ago. I was running on a treadmill and I didn't have the emergency brake tied to my belt loop. So ah. I tripped, unfortunately, fell on the treadmill and couldn't stop it. So I, it shot me backwards, but it was in a position where I was up against a wall and my knees 
were leaning against the edge of the treadmill, and I essentially skinned both my knees because I couldn't get up fast enough. Nah. I learned very quickly to keep that emergency brake uh, kill switch on my person at all times. You know? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's a fascinating concept, and it's, I think it's part of what will make this movie endure is that that's always a question worth asking, right? So I'm, sure. I'm glad you brought it up. That's a good one. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Awesome. Um, all right, so I think, that, I think that's really all I had. I just I wanted to ask that question because, you know, get it out there. Um, yeah. I also have a top five Michelle Gondry music video written down Ooh. here. Cause all right, dude, Louis, I, I want to know. Dude's a fucking goat when it comes to music videos, if you okay. didn't know. Um so number, I'll start from five to one. Uh, five Daft Punk around the world. It's a very mm. even if you don't like Daft Punk, the music video itself is pretty cool. Uh, four Kings of the Stone Age. No one knows. Classic. Okay. Uh, three. I have fell in love with a girl by the White Stripes. Nice. He he did a lot of the white. He's done a ton of Bjork. Uh, sorry, Bjork. Yeah, Bjork and uh, White Stripes <laughs> music videos. Bjork. Uh, two. Yeah, but Jork. Uh, two, Dead Leaves in the Dirty Ground, White Stripes. Nice. Another one. Number one, he did Everlong, Foo Fighters. It's a classic fucking oh, music wow. video. You've never seen that shit. Um, he's also, he also did, like, Knives Out from Radiohead. I mean, so many good fucking music videos. Uh, dude, just, yeah, look up a ton of his stuff. It's like, throughout the 90s, he was doing every music video. Um, all right, so let's get to the... Uh, controversial opinion here. I fucking hate that song. Ooh, hate wow, Everlong. What what a, what a lame fucking like butt rock song! Oh, I hate ah. that song. And you're gonna, I think Jim Law is gonna reach to the microphone and strangle you right now. That's oh, like his favorite song luck. ever. Good luck from Canada, Law. <laughs> All right, so letter grades with Eternal Sunshine. I think this movie has just gotten so much better with age. With me, I don't. I, uh, maybe where I'm in with my life right now too. It, it's it hit a little different these these watches, and it's uh, yeah, it, it's. It, it um it plays with the whole of like is it better to have loved and lost and never loved at all that whole fucking cliche right i mean it's mm. playing with all of that the irrationality of love we think so much because we we like think so much about love because we fall so deeply we have all these like fucking emotions and shit but it, it this movie is just almost um i don't know it, it really really like hits me in the feels i know you hate that expression but it, it does though it's 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 it, it does really it, it plays on the romance it plays on the sci-fi and it brings it all together so well for me like it, it just it just really does like it, it, this is a sci-fi movie at its core too um i can't give this movie anything less than an a plus man I, I i i i love this movie i i really every time i watch it i i get something different out of it like i said i i, I really 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 dig this movie uh that's that's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. Nice. Where are you at, my friend? Where are you at? Yeah. Um. I so I I feel the same way. It's the same way in some of the same ways that that you do on this. Um. Where I did get new things from this movie when I watched it this time. Um. I did see a new perspective that I hadn't considered previously. I still respect so much of the direction and the writing here. I, I really can't say that enough. I think it's such a unique premise and it's such a unique approach. You could see different filmmakers making a slightly altered version of what happens here. I could see maybe somebody like a like an Alejandro Jodorowsky, if you know who that is, um, making a version of this movie that is probably a lot more visceral, somehow like a lot more R-rated, 
but also fascinating. Um, I could see David Lynch making a nightmare of this movie, but I just don't know anybody else who would have tackled the subject matter in the way that Gondry would have. And I think it's, it's a perfect pairing of writer and director. Um, I think almost everything about the, the movie holds up. I, the, the, the scripts, it's just a little too emo for me. And there's something about that Joel character that's not sitting well with me. <laughs> it could be more of a personal thing. I just, I, I don't know exactly what it is, but there's something there that's not right for me. Um, but I can't deny how well made this is and how unique it is. It's, it's such a cool movie. Um, I think that it's going to stand the test of time. I think that there is not a ton in this movie that is going to date it over time. I think it's, it's actually going to hold up pretty well and, uh, you know, hopefully be around for a, a couple generations of, uh, of people to rediscover. Um, it's really, really solid. So for me, it's an A, just under an A+, plus, but hey. I, I got to respect it top to bottom. So, yep. It's great. All right. Good, good rewatch. Uh, highly recommended. If you did not rewatch the movie and you just listened to the episode, go give it a rewatch. It's, it's worth your time for certain. I think this is a great example of 2000s filmmaking. So, mm-hmm. um, for sure. All right. Uh, that is it for this episode. And of course we are going to tease next week's episode. Um, this is, uh, one that I decided to choose. Um, we are tying it in with Chad. Driveway dolls, Mr. Ethan Cohen. He's, uh, separated off from, uh, Joel. He's, he's doing his own thing with driveway dolls. It comes out in two weeks. So we're, we're getting back on the release track schedule. The end of February, early March, we start getting consistent new releases every week so we can yes. kind of get back on that beginning of the year was pretty uh, meh so we we kind of yeah. detoured a little bit but yeah i think getting back on track so i'll let you you right. tee it off what you picked excellent yeah so obviously we're going with the coen brothers movie here and there were a couple uh choices we were mulling over and honestly any of them would have been a great choice the coens are always worth revisiting as we've done on this show in the past um but this time we're going to go with inside lewin davis from 2013 um would love to do an Oscar Isaac movie. Love to do a Coen Brothers movie. This is both of those things. So uh, should be a good time. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll be back for uh, for that recording in a couple of weeks. And hopefully we will see you all there. So can't wait. Can't wait. All right, Chad. Anything else you got for the people? I got other man. All right. That is it for myself. I'm saying peace. See you. Thank you for listening to Movie Homework, a Binge Media production. Follow the Binge Media Podcast Network at bingemedia.com, patreon.com slash bingemedia, or wherever you get podcasts. Got a movie suggestion? An award suggestion? Send us an email at bingemoviehomework at gmail.com. One last thing before I forget, go to parksense.com, use the code binge20 at checkout to get 20% off and uh, get yourself some room sprays, some scents, some candles, and all that good stuff. All right, peace.